beginning was the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory full of grace and truth. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor James. I'm the executive pastor here. And I'm glad that you joined us here for March break weekend. Um, it's nice to be back. I, I should say right off the top, it's good to be back. Thank you for your prayers. I was with a team um, for the last week in Cuba, and I just flew back into Toronto on Friday. So I wanna, I wanna say that we left Cuba when it was 34 degrees, and we flew into the Toronto airport where you could barely see the ground. But fortunately, we were able to land, and it wasn't an apocalyptic, catastrophic kind of storm that we heard might be coming. Um, our time in Cuba, I just want to give you a quick report. It was a very powerful week with our Cuban brothers and sisters. In total, we visited um, pastors or missionaries in 17 different locations. Uh, we were in eastern Cuba uh, from Cuba's largest, third largest city, Holguin. That's where we landed and where we sort of set up camp. Uh, we went from there out into different areas, into mountains and villages to meet up with um, some of our the Cuban pastors that we're looking at supporting. Anyway, it was an absolutely beautiful time um, with our, our people in Cuba, and you as a church were an enormous blessing to these people. The families we meted, there was great need there, as you could tell. One family, you notice one woman in, in the video was crying. That family had just been robbed before we arrived. They had depended on friends bringing some clothing and shoes because much of that had been taken. And Anna just burst into tears when we brought in a suitcase of clothing from Temple because she was so amazed at how God had provided for her. You can't imagine how thankful she was. She said, as she was crying in translation, God sends help from everywhere. So we took hundreds of pounds of clothing from uh, your donations and we brought them in suitcases and we brought them, just opened them up in various churches and let people take what they needed. Uh, in addition to that, we were able to financially bless the churches. We were able to pray with them, encourage them. We formed friendships and uh, we'll be sponsoring some of those churches, um, the Calvary Road Gospel Association. So I just wanted to give you a brief update on that. Let me pray as I get ready um, to preach. Father in heaven, this morning, I want to ask that you would open our hearts, that you, as you give us your wisdom through the word, that you would help us, Father, to understand deep down inside what it is we really desire the most, and that you'd put our desires and our longings in proper order before you. Father, I also want to pray that we'll be teachable followers of your son, Jesus, willing to learn and to listen, and even to challenge things as we refresh, read the word fresh or as we follow your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray all these in your strong name. Amen. So here's a truth I've been learning a lot in my life lately. Sometimes you don't realize that God is all you need until you realize that God is all you have. Sometimes you, you don't realize that God is all you need until you realize 
God is all you have. Back in 1993 and 94, Caroline and I were missionaries in St. Petersburg, Russia for 10 months. And just like this trip to Cuba, it was an eye-opening experience for us to travel to Russia. The wall had just fallen. Uh, Communism was on the decline. Everything, everything was new for us when we entered Russia. We had to learn a new alphabet, the Cyrillic alphabet. We had to learn to pronounce new words. We had to learn um, how to shop on the streets. We had to learn how to get from one place to the other. We uh, definitely had to learn some new smells and some new sights. Um, because there was just market, open markets everywhere and the smell of petrol in the city of St. Petersburg was a city of about six million. And we tried as much as possible to live like Russians when we were there in St. Petersburg. So we used public transportation, subways and buses. And um, one of the things about uh, subways is they become great collecting points right as you exit the subways or enter them they become great collecting points for people who are trying to sell things. Outside the subway stations was where we often picked up our groceries. And people would gather there to sell everything from fish to meat to um, things they picked up or they'd had shipped from, uh, from other countries. You could sometimes find produce. One of the most popular things to buy was bread. There were covered trucks that would come would just have bread thrown in the back of them. And there'd be long, long lines of people there to to buy a loaf of bread. And in the entire country of Russia, one of the things that was guaranteed to raise the blood pressure of the entire country was if you raised the price of of bread. The babushkas, the grandmothers, would soon be out protesting. They would be grumbling, and soon all of Mother Russia would be upset. It's just how important bread was to that economy. Bread wasn't a luxury, it was an everyday necessity. It was something that was vital to their health and their sustenance. And when you think about that, if you visited other countries, that's true of other countries also, isn't isn't it? You can think of different countries, they all enjoy, uh, most of them anyway, bread in different forms. In Russia, we pronounce it kleb, and it came in a very dense loaf. In France, I thought immediately of the baguette, which you can buy on the streets. Italians are fancy. They have focaccia. Germans practically have pretzels as a separate food group. In India, if you've been to an Indian restaurant, it's naan bread. And in large parts of the Middle East, bread is flat. It's a bread that we call pita. But what is it about bread that makes, that's so important to our life? That's what I want to think about this morning. I don't think the answer to that is very complicated. In many cultures, bread provides basic nourishment. It sustains us and it gives us life. And it's no surprise that bread was really, really important at the time of Jesus. In fact, Jesus used bread as a synonym for God's provision and sustenance. In one of his most famous prayers, the prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. It's a simple way of asking God, can you supply for us today everything we need? And today's passage is from the Gospel of John. We've been going through the Gospel of John together, been looking at what we call simply Jesus as a series. And I'm going to look at John chapter 6, verses 22 to 51. And if you're able, I'd ask if you could please stand. If you have a Bible, you can take it out, or you can follow along on the slide. I'm going to read the section that has to do with Jesus as the bread of life. So if you're able to stand, please do. 
The next day the crowd had stayed on the far shore and saw that the disciples had taken the only boat. And they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. That's referring to the miracle the day before where Jesus fed thousands. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, the only work God wants from you is this, believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed in the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And he now offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. However, the Father has given me, uh, however, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I've come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but I should raise them up at the last day. For this is my Father's will that all who see his son and believe in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up in the last day. The people then, and this is interesting, begin to murmur in disagreement because they said, because he said, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and his mother. How can he say that? I came down from heaven. But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns comes from him. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who was sent from God has seen him. And then finally, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I offer to the world, which, is, which I will offer the, so the world may live, is my flesh. Thank you. You can be seated. It's a bit of a lengthy passage, but all of it's important because the main claim Jesus is making here is that he is the bread of life. Now, I don't know if you noticed this in the Gospel of John, but I want to state something that might be obvious to you now about the Gospel of John. There's something very special about this Gospel. John, more than any of the other Gospel writers, he just loves, loves symbols. He loves them. So when you read the Gospel of John, you'll notice it's full of symbols. And you have to constantly look behind the literal meaning of something to catch what's going on. 
I'll give you some examples. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he doesn't mean that he physically glows like a light bulb, right? He means that his presence reveals the way forward and shows us where to go. Or when Jesus says, I am the door, he doesn't mean that he's a physical wooden structure. He means it's through him, through that gateway, that you can gain access to God. Or when Jesus says, I am the vine, he doesn't refer to himself as just vegetation. That's not it. He's, he's trying to say that he's the source and he's the life for people. He helps them grow and he holds the people, the branches together. I mean, that might sound obvious, but that's what he's up to here. John often takes an everyday object, bread, door, light, vine, and he just makes them pregnant with meaning. He fills them up. So you get such a rich, rich picture of what's going on. Just before that passage I read to you, something had happened. It was the feeding of the thousands. Jesus had taken bread and fish, and he had multiplied them and, feed, and fed a huge crowd. So they had received this sign. The bread and the fish were pointing beyond Jesus to something else. The crowd was satisfied because they immediately had something to eat, which you can understand. In a place where you've been walking for hours, you've been following this itinerant preacher, Jesus, he's stopping to, to pray, to heal, to teach, and in this case, to perform miraculous signs. The crowd was thrilled when they sat down and they were able to eat. And Jesus notices that. He says, you follow me because I gave you something to eat. It says in John 6, 2, the great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed. And it also says a little bit later, they were so impressed with him that they wanted to make him king. So the next day, now we're in the next day, the passage I read, the crowds are back again. But we find is that most people are hungry. They want more food. And Jesus is trying to get them to look beyond the physical, to look beyond what's under their nose. He wants them to see something deep in the meaning of the sign that he had just performed. He wants, if I had to summarize uh, what Jesus is trying to teach them here this morning, I would say this. Jesus is coming to this crowd and he's saying, you know, yesterday I performed a sign. I gave you all you needed to eat. You hunger, so I fed you. There's a deeper hunger that you have that you may not even be aware of. I have come to fulfill the deepest longings of your heart, Jesus says. I've come to satisfy what no one and nothing else can. That's what he's getting at here. And even beyond all the familiar cravings and desires, Jesus is saying, in your very heart, at the very center of who you are, every one of you too, there you have a spiritual appetite and a fullness that can be experienced when you're awakened to your need for God. Just think about that, that beyond your physical cravings, you have a spiritual appetite. And that message was at the center of everything that Jesus taught. You see it over and over and over again. He wants us to look beyond the physical, to look beyond the material and pay attention to our deep spiritual needs. It's easy to be distracted, I think, by our needs. When I, you know, when I was in Cuba, our translator, his name was Emmanuel, Emmanuel told me that Cubans normally make, on average, about $40 to $50 a month Canadian. 
40 to $50 a month Canadian. That's really some a little more, some a little less. And they have to buy everything they need with that money. So naturally, I asked Emmanuel, how are they able to afford anything more than food with that amount of money? And he said, most of them can't. He said, there's an expression in Cuban that basically translates as, Cubans live to eat. And what he was saying is there's very, left over, very little left over once they've eaten and filled their stomachs. There's not a lot of money left for other things. This is true right now in the ministry of Jesus in this passage in, gospel, in, in uh, John 6, in the Gospel of John. When Jesus came in the flesh, he entered a world where most people had very, very little. Most people were basically just making it, trying to make it from day to day and cover their most basic needs. After Jesus attended to their needs and fed the crowd, the next day, Jesus is trying to teach. And he's saying to them, I want you to understand the miracle I just performed. I want to try to direct people's attention to something bigger that's going on among you. And he warns them, don't spend your time looking for physical things. Don't spend your time working for food that's only going to perish. You must pay attention to the desires that are deep inside of you that go beyond physical hunger and thirst. In John 6, 27, he actually says it this way, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which, is the, which the Son of Man will give you. But at the time... People just don't seem to care. If you read the passage, they're fixated on food. They're not getting that second message, the message that the food was only a sign about a kind of food I want to give you that's much more profound than that. We know that because Jesus says to them to think about other food, real bread. I am the bread from heaven. And they're fixated on physical food. Jesus switches the conversation to spiritual food, and as long as God is providing them with the physical stuff, they're interested. But it seems like the moment there's nothing more to eat, they start to drift. I just noted that, I mean, as I was reading it, Jesus was compassionate the day before to feed the entire, he knows people have hungers, and he knows they have needs. But now he's switching the topic, and it isn't about their bellies anymore. And in the passage, what you see is that they quickly lose interest. I think that's true for us sometimes too. You know, we kind of, we love to follow God as long as things are going really well. But when things aren't, we, are, we, we sort of look to God and say, how come I don't have? Why, you know, where, where is this when I need it? Where is that when I need it? But I think the message Jesus is trying to say in this passage and in our lives is you've got to be able to cling to me in the very best of times and in the very worst of times, when you have what you need and when you seemingly don't. I wondered how Jesus felt at the point where everyone's dropping off. They're not following anymore. The sort of, they're saying, well, you know, we'll believe in if you, can you do another sign? Maybe we'll believe in you then. People just don't seem to get it. Have you been around people? You believe you have a message you just wanna share with them so badly and they don't care. They seemingly just don't care. They're not even aware, it seems, of a deeper need in their own lives. Jesus, in this passage at least, is defining their problem as a longing problem or a desire problem. 
Only a few years ago, at the start of his ministry, Jesus was tempted, wasn't he? He went into the desert and he was tempted, and he was without bread, and he was without water. And it said, during that time, the devil tempted him and said to him, here, I can give you all the bread you want. Turn these stones into bread. And what was Jesus' response? He quoted scripture and he said, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And here, same kind of thing, people are intensely focused on their immediate needs. And while Jesus is providing bread and fish for them, the crowd is willing to follow along. I love what you do for me, Jesus. I've eaten my fill. I'm ready for more. Give me more bread, more miracles. Please keep it coming. But that was never Jesus' point. There's something much, much deeper stirring below the surface. And he really wants to raise people's awareness of this. He wants them to seek that. He wants them to long for that. He wants them to, to desire that. He wants to awaken that desire for God. Uh, preacher John Piper summarized the importance of that desire like this. It's a beautiful quote by Piper. Nothing is more important in your life than the awakening of this desire. The triumph of this desire over all other desires. If the name and fame of Jesus, the Savior, the Son of God, the King of Kings, does not become your greatest desire, you'll not only waste your life, you'll lose it. Isn't that a sharp, a very, that's a piercing quote. Powerful. One of the things that really surprised me when I was um, going from church to church in Cuba was the answer that a pastor gave to a question that we had for them. So one of the questions we asked the churches in Cuba, what are the obstacles you're facing right now? Was a question we asked them. And all the, pa all the different pastors or missionaries would respond. And I actually expected pastors to say, well, we lack basic resources. Or, you know, there's a leak in the roof. Or our wall's falling down. Or we're being persecuted. But one pastor went on to describe how people are worldly and distracted. Now, like, I could get that here. <laughs> but in Cuba, where they've got nothing and their horses are skinny and they're just trying to find food for the day and they barely get around. When he said their people are worldly, I thought, what are you talking about? So I asked him. In the van later, I asked the former president of the denomination, what do you think he meant when he said the people in Cuba are worldly? And Josue told me what he meant is that some people are not interested in God at all. They're just interested in the things the world tells them are important. They're chasing after those things and they've lost their way. You know, I, I thought about that and it just seems so counterintuitive in a world where there is nothing to chase after, that that's the problem. But this is the same context that Jesus had in John 6. These people were dirt poor, they had nothing. They basically were just cobbling their days together. And Jesus is putting his finger on a need for them that they're not even aware of. Your need is that you have a deep desire that only I can fill. Jesus is saying, same thing in Cuba, same thing in Canada. You know, there's a great leveling that can go on pretty quick. Despite all of the possessions we have, we may have more distractions, but everybody, no matter what culture, culture they're in, have distractions. And I think that's really was helpful for me to hear him say that because I think we have to tune in to what it is we're distracted by also. The great Western church father Augustine once said this, our hearts are restless 
until they find their rest in thee. For me, there's something incomparably satisfying about trusting Jesus and inviting him to be part of my everyday. His abiding presence in my life, it gives me strength and it gives me, um, it sustains me. And once I think we realize that our spiritual needs can be satisfied, it's easier than to start turning away from cheap substitutes. This is satisfaction at the deepest, most basic level. Once you've found Christ, or maybe better yet, biblically, once Christ has found you, made you aware of your desire, your need for him, you will never have to find spiritual fulfillment anywhere else. Jesus will become everything for you. He'll satisfy your mind, your heart, your conscience. And even if you're surrounded by poverty and failure and suffering or sickness or death, you will not have to go anywhere else. That's an amazing thing. You will find your needs fully met no matter what in Jesus. The spiritual discipline that I wanna talk just briefly about coming out of this sermon is teachability. It's not one that you necessarily practice for an hour a day, it's more an attitude. Twice in John chapter six, two groups of people refused to believe Jesus. First in John 6, 41, after Jesus declares himself to be the bread of life who has come down from heaven, it says the Jews around him began grumbling and rejected Jesus' claim that he was the bread from heaven. They say, we know his parents. He didn't come down from heaven. So they're unwilling to accept that he was uniquely provided to them by God, the Father. The second one is in John chapter six, verse 66. It's a little farther on in the passage. When it says, Jesus starts unpacking what it means to feed on him, to eat his flesh and drink his blood, which for a Jew at that time would have been an abomination. But he's, he's using this as an, as an example, a metaphor to try to help them understand that they had to be in such close affiliation, close um, interaction with him, that he would be for them their source of spiritual food every day. When he says that though, in John 66, there's a group that say, this, this is a hard teaching. And the words are, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's the opposite of a healthy church growth, right? That's, you know, often, often we talk about wanting to grow our churches. Well, Jesus' crowd is shrinking at this point because he's saying things that are challenging them and some of them are unwilling or, uh, to learn uh, what he is saying. You know, it's, it's true even in our, in our church, you'll always find that when the faith is tested, there'll be people of strong belief and there'll be people who just seem to fall away. I've experienced that in my own life in different churches. The spiritual practice I want to challenge you with this morning is teachability. We all have to be careful to let lead, Jesus lead us fully into the truth. Teachability is an openness to learn new things. It's being open to what the scriptures and the Holy Spirit are saying to us so that we can begin to um, understand our faith in deeper ways. It's easy to get stuck or figure, well, I know enough. I know enough at least to get into heaven, so I'm not sure I'm real interested in getting too serious about this. But Jesus, twice in those two examples I gave, instead of taking the time to learn and be taught by him, they abandoned him and walked away from him. I want to encourage us all to be open to what Scripture's saying and the Holy Spirit is saying so that we can have teachable hearts. We're always learning forever in our life as a child of God.
It's the way I think Jesus, there was a way he could say, I'm both John, I'm both the son of Joseph and the um, son of Mary. And at the same time, I'm uniquely, I've uniquely come from the father. You can hold those things in tension and for those things to be true. But some people just said, nah, he didn't come from heaven. We know his parents. And they sort of said, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to follow this guy. Um, the same thing when somebody says that he, when he says, I'm the bread of life, um, the, the people, his disciples who came to him later, they decided that his teaching about being that intimate to him was, was just too much for them. It was a hard teaching. It was, he used words that shocked them. So from that point on, some of them decided, I think I'll cut bait and fish. Um, anyway, just before I close in prayer, um, if you're finding with this chapter, is, as we've read through it, if you're finding that you're either apathetic or unaware of what it fully means to have a deeper desire, then I'd encourage you, this would be my, my one hope, I'd encourage you to pray that God would reveal to you the deeper places that he wants to go in your life. Many times we as Christians can just hear another message, say, well, I don't, okay, deeper places. But I really want you to encourage you to think about that, that deep down inside, there's a place that God wants to inhabit and fill, and he wants to have incredibly close association, fellowship with you. And I don't want you to miss the opportunity. So maybe for some of us, our prayer will be, God, help me to understand that desire. Give me that desire and help me desire the right things and be satisfied by the gifts you give as the bread of life. And for others, I think you know what it means to have longing for God. So I just encourage you to attend to that ongoing in an ongoing way as you continue to live your life. Those are the things I was hoping you'd think about this morning. So in closing, let me pray. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are the bread of life, that you meet a deep desire in us that can be met by nothing else. And I pray that you'll give us a sensitivity to the word, scripture, to the Holy Spirit, that you'll invite us to properly order our desires so we're not chasing after the wrong things, and that you'll help us to find satisfaction and rest, Jesus, in you as the life-giving Savior. Amen.